text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 3, 1 through 5, if you want to turn there. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. We're working our way through Galatians, and we start here a new chapter. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that you would keep us from being foolish like the Galatians. Father, I pray that the wisdom Paul gives this church that has been upset by these false teachers, Lord, I pray Lord, that you would protect us from the same mistakes that they are making. God, I pray that we would see Christ as valuable, the way he is put forth in the gospel, that that would rule our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one thing, or actually there's three things I know everyone in this room wants. You want purpose or position. You want to have a place of standing that is valuable. So you want purpose or position. You want power to function from your place of position, you want power and you want production. You want your life to matter. You want to be able to produce something worth producing and you want the power to get it done. I think it's safe to say that all of us in this room, every human being, wants those three things. How are you going to live in this world and function well in all those areas? I want to, by way of introduction, remind us of David when he faced Goliath. How did David get such a high place of standing? How did he have so much courage in and power? How was he able to produce one of the greatest victories 
man has ever known. In 1 Samuel 17.26, I'm going to pick up mid-story. And David comes to bring supplies to his brothers and he hears this Philistine mocking Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? What position will he have? What will be done for this man who kills this Philistine? And then he says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so he gets brought before Saul a few verses later. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Your power is lacking. You're not going to be able to beat this powerful man. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. He began remembering. He was living off memory. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Where's his confidence? Where's his power? It's in the power of God. It's by faith in the power of God. It's by looking back and remembering the power of God in his previous victories. And then in verse 41, here's what we read. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come, come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies, and and I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. 
not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. What we have is an illustration of how to live. How to live a life that has standing, that has a position, a place of belonging, a life that has power so that a life can be productive. He lived by faith in the God he knew and in the God who has already worked powerfully through him. So as we come to this text uh, this morning, it's good to remind ourselves where are we in Paul's argument with uh, the Galatian church. He basically, in the beginning from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up through chapter 2, he's been defending the gospel that he preached. He's been clarifying what the gospel is, and he says that gospel is from God. Don't let them convince you that my gospel is a flawed gospel. I received it from God. The Jewish apostles, those in Jerusalem, affirmed my gospel. In fact, I even corrected Peter. You ought to listen to my gospel. Don't discard it just because the Judaizers have come in and said that you need Jesus plus circumcision plus the law. He says, trust me. And now he begins to make an argument in three different ways. This morning, in these first five verses, he's going to make an argument from experience. Next week, we're going to look at an argument from Scripture. And then the week after that, we're going to see an argument from salvation history. But this week, we're going to look at his argument that the reception of the Spirit by means of faith and not works is what makes a person, what guarantees the belonging of a person in God. The Judaizers come to these brand new Christians and say, well, you almost got it. You're trusting in Jesus, but now you have to be circumcised. You cannot be a part of the people of God apart from circumcision. And Paul's going to argue that, no, the sign that you belong to the people of God is the reception of the Holy Spirit. So here's how he begins. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Literally saying, who's cast a spell on you? Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the language of public, publicly being portrayed. It's, it's like the plays that they would have been familiar with in, in their day. He says, when I came and I preached Christ to you, I went at center stage. The whole show was Christ 
Christ crucified came to save sinners. Jesus Christ was on center stage, but someone has cast a spell on you. Somehow in your minds and in your vision, you don't see Him center stage anymore. Rather, by some reason, for some reason, you see Him as less significant. That you would consider taking Jesus off the stage, putting the Mosaic law and human effort on center stage again. How stupid, how foolish to do this. They're no longer seeing clearly. So let me ask you the question. Who or what derails you from living by faith in Christ? The temptation was, quit trusting in God alone and start working yourself. That's how you become part of the people of God. Who or what derails you from living by faith in Christ? Who or what seems to cast a spell on your life so that when you think of Christ, you realize, oh man, He's not on center stage anymore. He's not clearly in front of me anymore. He's filed away behind the curtain. You might see a glimpse of Him now and then. But this person or this thing is now standing clearly in front of you so that you no longer see clearly the main show. The real thing. What is it? For you. The person I think most people would give the answer to is themselves. As soon as you begin to trust in your own intellect, I was talking to someone yesterday about my sermon, and he said, You know, for me, it's my intellect. I find enough confidence in what I already know and how I can think through processes, that Christ begins to go off the stage. A blinding begins to come on me. My faith begins to weaken as confidence raises in myself. What is it for you? It could be intellect, It could be good circumstances. When things are going good and you got an exciting week planned and you got this, this, and this going, well, who needs Jesus? Let the good circumstances, let the vacation, let whatever it is take center stage. It's usually the good things. I mean... Think of the Judaizers. They're saying, are you saying the law of God's bad? You don't want to live according to the precepts of God? Oh, this all sounds so good. Sometimes it's the praise of man that takes center stage. 
You know, Christ, when He's on center stage, it brings glory to Him. I want the glory. While we might not have Judaizers trying to convince us to follow the Mosaic law, we too can live as though a spell has been cast upon us and no longer see Christ as publicly portrayed, crucified, the Gospel clearly in sight. And then he says this, let me ask you only this. It's a great question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When did power come? When did production begin? When was position gained? Was it when you finally kept the law good enough? And then God threw a party for you? Because you did it? Is that when it happened? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's saying, when I came and I put Jesus Christ on center stage, that's when your life changed. When you heard it and you believed it, is when the power of the Spirit came upon you. The Galatians do not need circumcision to belong to the people of God because they've already been given the Spirit, which is their guarantee they are already a part of the people of God See, they're Gentiles, so they might not have known Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, all these new covenant promises. But if you were a Jew and you knew the Old Testament, you would know that when the Spirit came like this, you were a part of the new covenant people of God. Let me just read Ezekiel 11. The prophet says, when they came there, they will renew, or when they came there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I'll put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I'll give them the heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. There's going to be a day where you get a new heart. Your affections change. There's going to be a day where you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you so, so that God can say, I'm doing the work. I'm the one that's changing you. I'm the reason you're obeying. You see, the prophets prophesied of the day when the Spirit comes, not when, it, when a person has the Spirit living in them is the sign they are part of the people of God. In Romans 2, here's how Paul puts it to the Romans, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision outward and physical. You're not just a Jew because you're circumcised. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is the matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter. It's not about being circumcised in the flesh according to the letter of the law, but by the power of the Spirit getting a new heart. And in Romans 8, 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to Him. In Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You see his argument? Don't listen to the Judaizers. You have the Spirit. You've been changed. Your life has shown evidences of power. In fact, the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ is the main power. You could not do that apart from the power of the Spirit. Here's how he says it to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1.21 And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Where's your guarantee that you belong to the people of God? The Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Well, what's the greatest sign that the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you? That you're trusting by faith in Jesus Christ crucified. That that's where your hope is in. Here's how he says it to the Ephesians. Ephesians 1.11, look at the sovereignty of God in this. In Him, in Jesus, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. If you're trusting in Christ, it's to the praise of His glory because it goes back to the time when God has predestinated you to believe. And then he says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You see His argument? You've already received the seal of the Spirit of belonging to Him. Are you really, are you really going to run with going back in salvation history and trying to be saved in Adam when Christ is now here. Foolish. Foolishness. Peter argues this. 
So a few years after this letter, Peter's standing before the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15. Here's what he says. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, so the debate is, is do Gentiles need to be circumcised? Peter stands up and he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God made a choice that when I spoke the gospel that those Gentiles would hear. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. How did they believe? God gave them the Spirit. Just as we believe by the Spirit, God gave them the Spirit is His argument. And He made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Isn't that amazing? Having cleansed your hearts by faith, He says. You want to know the most difficult task in the entire world is to clean up a rotten heart. All these shootings we see in schools, everyone's trying to figure out why these things happen, how we can stop them. Maybe if we get rid of all the weapons in the world, then stuff like this won't happen. What's the problem? The problem is in the hearts of men. There's an impossible task in redeeming a heart born of Adam. And God did the impossible in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read Acts 15.9 again. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that we can have hearts cleansed. Our purpose can be redefined. The power that changed us can live inside of us. How? By faith. What does the Spirit's work look like? I've already said that one of the biggest evidences of the Spirit's work is the faith itself. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why did you receive the Spirit from God? Here's what he says. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. God wants to give you the gift. The problem is, you're too dumb to understand the gift. So what does God do? He gives the spirit of understanding. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see the problem? You can preach the gospel all day long, but if the Spirit doesn't come and help the natural man understand the spiritual truths that are in the gospel of Christ, no one will believe. 
Here's how he says it in Romans 5.5. 5. I, I, I just love this. How, how did you get understanding of God's love for you? When a person gets saved, they realize the amazing love of God in the substitution area atonement of Christ, the, the call of the sinner, the God choosing. All this love is put on display. Here's how you understood it. Romans 5.5 Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The way you understood the love of God, if you have understood it, it's been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul is saying, do you, do you remember how you were changed? When did it happen? Was it when you finally lived good enough according to the law? Is that when it happened? Or was it with my preaching and you believed by faith? Is that when it happened? See, he's trying to get at, you might want to tap into the power source that was power back then. This is what David did. I remember when I killed that lion and that bear by the power of God. So I'm going to go kill Goliath today. The foolishness of what they're doing is they're deciding to live, or they're tempted to live the rest of their life. They started by faith in the power of God, and now they're going to live, what? In the power of the flesh? That's what he says. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? Are you so foolish? Have you begun this way and now you're going to be perfected in the flesh? Jesus helped me a little bit. Now, it's almost like He got me started, now I'm going to go finish the work. Really? I don't think that's wise. It's a temper, it, it, it's an argument on timing. Have you begun this way and now you're gonna move this way? The age to come has penetrated this present evil age. Remember right away in chapter one, verse four? This is a gospel that's preached to deliver us from the present evil age. So this new age has come to deliver us from this age, but you're going to go back to the old age and try to be delivered? That's, that's the system you're actually tempted to buy into? I, I was thinking, what, you know, what does this look like? And one of the examples that came to my mind is when Troy Hollinsworth went to Africa with me. Uh, that first day we went into the village I mean, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into because we got out of the car and they're kind of like, all right, grab your Bibles, let's go. And Mark's like, Sam, you come with me. Troy, you go with Cephas. <laughs> it's our first time in an African village. And grab the Bible, start walking down the dirt road. And that night when I was talking to Troy, he's like, you won't believe what happened. We're walking. Cephas starts talking to some guys. And... Then Cephas says, well, they invited us to sit down. And then like two minutes later, Cephas looks at me and goes, all right, go for it. What do you want to tell him? 
And he's like, my jaw hit the ground. And I looked at him and said, well, what would be good to say? What should I, should I? And he's like, spirit will help you. You're good. And then what did Troy tell me? He's like, it was unbelievable. All of a sudden, I was able to recall all this preparation. It was like he went blank the moment it was time. The reason why I went blank is because he thought, how do I do this in the flesh? A brother says, the Spirit's got you, buddy. And then all of a sudden, all this hard work, all this study begins to come out of his mouth. And he tells me, the biggest thing I learn is don't trust in your own power. God has your back. The way you live, the way you do ministry, the way you function on a mission trip is not by your own wisdom and your own strength and confidence in what in, in yourself. It's in reliance on God. It's not as if, uh, Tom Schreiner says, it's not as if justification is through the Spirit by faith and sanctification is by works in human efforts. So justification is the legal declaration from God that you're not guilty, that your sins are wiped away, you have a clean account. That's justification. Your sanctification is the process of killing sin and becoming more like Christ. You don't get saved by faith through the, or you don't get justified by faith through the power of the Spirit and then come to sanctification and say, well, now I get sanctified by human effort. No, you get sanctified the same way. By the power of the Spirit, by trusting in the gospel of Christ. You don't start with one and then ditch faith in the power of the Spirit in order to become more like Jesus. Essentially, he's saying, do you really want to replace Christ with Adam? Is that what you want to do? Christ was on center stage. You want to put Adam back on center stage? Have another crack at it? The last 4,000 years wasn't evidence enough that man, Ken's heart is rotten and he cannot resurrect himself, and that you need the resurrection of, of Christ through the power of the Spirit? Do you really want to replace Christ with Adam? How do we live then as Christians? How do we live? This was last week. I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me, it's very personal, and gave Himself for me. How do you live this week? The way you live this week is by preaching the Gospel to yourself. I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who's this Son? He loved me and gave Himself for me. So you do everything in life.
Let me give you a few examples of what it looks like. What does sanctification by faith in the power of the Spirit look like? Let's say you work a job. And sometimes your boss and other people are watching. And sometimes they're not watching. How are you going to work? You're going to work different when they're watching than you are when you're not watching? Well, let's say you wake up in the morning and you open to Ephesians chapter 6 and you start reading in verse 5 and here's what you read. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, just to look good, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. When you go to work, God's your boss. Christ is your boss. And then he says this, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Well, this gets really practical. I'm supposed to work as though I'm working for God. Knowing, it doesn't end here, that whatever good anyone does, you won't believe this, but I'm going to ask you to try to believe it with the help of the Spirit by faith. Knowing that what good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or whether he is free. So here's how it looks living by faith, walking in the Spirit. I go to work, no one's watching, but I believe by faith that I'm working for Christ and that every bit of hard work I do for the glory of God is going to be returned to me in reward in heaven. That's what it says. Some of you might be uncomfortable with that, with this reward language, but that's what the text says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this you'll receive back from the Lord. So, mom, when you're changing the diaper again, and it's every day, and it's monotonous, and what's the purpose to life? Do you really believe that if you change this diaper by faith in the Son of God for His glory, that God will never forget, and in His grace He rewards you, not because you deserve it, but because He's gracious, and He's decided to lavish grace on you. It changes the way you do everything when you live by faith in Christ, when He keeps center stage. This is what Jesus is teaching when He says God rewards what is done in secret in Matthew 6.5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. A real temptation is going to be, as you progress in your spiritual walk, is to put your growth on display for your own glory. That's a real temptation. I've been working really hard here in this Bible study, and I'm learning a lot, and i got to have someone know. Well, how do you not do that? You live by faith in Jesus' words. Because what Jesus says then is, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Well, that's going to take faith, because 
the praise of man is a pretty powerful temptation. Another example? A wife who treats her husband with love and respect when her husband isn't lovable or respectable. How are you going to do that? You're actually called to do that. Seems crazy. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. It's like, yeah, Paul, you're crazy, except the Holy Spirit's saying it. Well, how can a person do that? My husband's not respectable right now, and he's not lovable right now, but when I wasn't respectable and when I wasn't lovable, God at that time sent Christ to redeem a rebel, someone who is unworthy. Oh, so the love of God was poured into my heart by the Spirit, so I have the love in me to love the unlovable and show respect where my husband isn't even worthy of respect in this moment. This is how you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. It changes everything. Look at verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? If you listen to the Judaizers, then your original faith will be in vain because saving faith continues to trust in Christ and doesn't seek to be accepted by another way. Here's the reality. You are saved by faith and the type of faith that saves is the type of faith that continues to realize you can't be saved by works. It's only by Christ's work. Although Christ may begin to take center stage, saving faith by the conviction of the Spirit takes Christ and starts to bring Him into focus again because you realize this is my only hope. How foolish when this happens. And He's warning. He's saying, if you're going to run with these Judaizers and you're done with the Gospel I preached to you, then find no hope in that original faith. That would have been in vain. Because saving faith, God preserves through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit creates your faith and the Spirit preserves your faith. And He's telling them, don't don't turn from Christ. Do you realize you have a need to persevere in this faith? Now don't persevere in your own power, but through by faith in the power of the Spirit. And then look at verse 5. Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I don't know what miracles He's talking about. I know the biggest miracle in the Bible is a person who trusts in Christ who is a stumbling block and foolishness to Jews and Gentiles. The biggest miracle is Trusting Christ. So, does God, who supplies the Spirit to you, work and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are amazing things happening among you 
because you guys finally did it? Or was it because you just received the Gospel and were preaching the truth? It's a strong argument. It's an argument from experience. What has happened? Don't be stupid. Don't be foolish to turn from Christ who gives you purpose, who gives you power, and He gives production. It's amazing. We want our lives to matter. You're created to glorify God. When you get saved, you're justified. You're found not guilty, but then God in His love doesn't leave you that way. In the power of the Spirit, He begins to conform you into the image of Christ because you were always created to bear His image and glorify Him. So let me just finish with last week's text. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And then he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See his argument? I'm not taking Christ off center stage. Because if I do that, then his death meant nothing if we're going to go by works of the law. My prayer is that you think back in your life if you're a Christian. What has changed you? Was it your intellect? Was it your great obedience? executed by your amazing discipline? Or was it when you gained ground in understanding God's love for you and His mercy for you? Isn't that when God has been powerful in your life? Let's pray. Lord, You are so powerful and gracious and kind. Not only do You save rebels, but even when we have the Spirit's help, we can be so foolish and in our sin begin to see other things than Christ as giving us hope. Lord, I pray that by Your grace, You would keep us moment by moment throughout the day that we would be reminded this week how we ought to live by faith in Your amazing love for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.